Hey caffeinators, welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Caffeinators, welcome back to another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe, perhaps the only cafe with your favorite coffee and your favorite beer or wine on tap or by the glass. Um, we'd like to thank all of you for your continued support of our podcast and, and getting our merchandise off our website. Um, to our Patreons, we've had a few new jump on um, recently, so thank you so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. If you're new to the Vet Tech Cafe, if you head over to vettechcafe.com, uh, you can find all of the info about Dave and I and who we are and why we do this podcast, links to all our previous episodes. Uh, like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, um, LinkedIn. We have a YouTube channel where we post the live episodes of our tap room at. So definitely follow along all of our channels, but we're glad you're here. Um, Dave, how's it going out there? Uh, it's good here. It's, uh, this is Thanksgiving week, so um, uh, it's getting cold here. Uh, I'm going to the mountains for Thanksgiving with, with Robin, um, so it's going to be even colder. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not looking forward to that. As, as you know, I, I despise the cold, but mm-hmm. um, struggling through it. Uh, things, things are good here. How are you guys doing out there? Uh, we're good. We're good. It's, uh, it's uh, kind of late in the autumn and it's cooled off a little bit but we still have some warm days but um been been a little bit cool and rainy lately so i will take it you know that makes me happy yes yes. um although i will i am learning that rainy days with a toddler are very difficult when you can't go outside and play (laughs) um there's a whole other level of entertaining that has to be done um so i'm kind of learning that now maybe but, you have to teach her your love of crazy weather uh, yes, and that yes. way when it does turn out like that you you've got something to do <laughs> yes I, maybe i can uh, teach her to watch my weather station and, and she'll be uh, she'll be enthralled I'm sure that'll be riveting for yes, uh, a for one sure, and a half year old sure. exactly yeah <laughs> um well we've got another great episode today yeah. i'm super excited about this one um we have uh siska volk coming by the vet tech cafe she's the fat founder of autumn animals a dedicated very ho- uh, veterinary hospice organization in the uk uh she aims to improve the quality of life for their for their pets they work with and their families by providing them with practical and emotional support she lives in london uh with her husband jamie and their very senior cat lewis um and she's she was mentored by dave one of our previous guests somebody that we went through our study group with um and who's been on the show uh, ninka um so super super cool kind of connection as well there so um cisk if if, welcome to the vet tech cafe first of all um if you you. don't mind uh what can we get you for a cup of coffee or maybe a cup of tea or other caffeinated beverage of choice yeah i stopped drinking coffee about two years ago so i'm dr- i'm a green tea girl now okay. all right very, all right. very strong loose leaf green tea is my, all right. is my that, that's favorite a, brew. it's a fairly common order we've definitely got that one so yeah, not a great. problem <laughs> um, yeah. if you don't mind you know take us through your career path we were talking a little bit on air um or excuse me off air before we came on uh about you know credentialing and, and what have you in the Netherlands, but yeah. can I talk a little bit maybe about that, what got you into veterinary medicine and, and really what got you to doing what you're doing now? Mm. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to having this chat with you guys. Um, yeah, I was about 14, 15 years old and I decided I wanted to become a veterinary nurse. And that came because I had a beautiful Border Collie dog called Joey and he uh, had to go in for surgery of uh, yeah one of his legs. Uh, he had to have orthopedic su- surgery, and I was quite intrigued by that at a, quite a young age. Like what was going to happen to him? So the veterinarian was like, "Well, why don't you come and sit in with surgery?" 
fact, and I don't know whether that still happens, but <laughs> it was quite quite impressive for me to see how it goes from that first injection where he's being sedated and just like falls asleep, and then just having his his whole paw being laid open and seeing his bones and the quite brutal work that was being done on his bones. But I was like, I was hooked. I was like, okay, one day I'm going to be a orthopedic surgeon for animals but for now uh, i would love to be a veterinary nurse like the caring part i I'd always loved animals but um yeah so i wanted to that at that point i was like i want to be a veterinary nurse um and uh in the netherlands it's um a little bit different than in other countries where veterinary nursing is a vocational education so you start quite early with with your training so i started when i was 15 going on to 16 um, at vocational education and I graduated by the time that I was 19 and uh, yeah did quite a lot of internships in the meantime and uh, had quite a lot of experience becoming uh, like in 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 the lead up to becoming to graduating to becoming a veterinary nurse and unfortunately the experiences that I had while studying weren't super positive we're all in quite small town veterinary surgeries that um, where I felt like I was there to clean, not necessarily to learn or to do mm-hmm. any of the, the, the medical stuff that y- you can see now yeah. that lots of veterinary nurses are quite specialist and uh, can do are allowed to do quite a lot. So, but that wasn't wasn't my experience in the first few years. So that was why I decided this is this is not for me. Like I felt like the ceiling for veterinary nurses at that time was uh, too low for my taste, for my liking. So I, as I decided to continue studying and I went to university and um, studied human geography. So I have a bachelor's and master's in human geography. And uh, that's not to say that I stepped away from animal care, but it's more that I was also interested in the human animal bond and the human environment bond. So there's there's quite a lot of overlap there between like how how do we interact with our natural environment, but also how do we interact with the animals in our natural environment and not only our pets, but also our livestock and our and uh, the wild animals that are living around us. So I did um I did a few years of work in human geography and uh, which took me all over the world and I lived in um, Kenya and, and India and I went to Zanzibar wow. where I lived for a while where I met my now husband and um, that was that was amazing but at the same time I was always taking care of animals so now I often joke about my human geography and research work was. Uh, it was a really fun way of earning money, and that money went into taking care of stray cats and dogs. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I like when I was living in Zanzibar, I kind of immediately knew that okay, this climate change investigation, the climate change research that I'm doing, is very interesting. But I think after this, I've had enough, and I need to go back into the into the veterinary sector. So I came back to the Netherlands after living in Zanzibar for a year and decided that I was going to set up my own company, which was then called Cease Pet Care. And it was going to be an animal care company. And it was because I didn't want to go back into clinic. And I wanted to continue working with animals, but do it in my own way. So, um, yeah, I set up Cease Pet Care, which, which offered dog walking services and cat sitting services. And I did a little bit of like behavior advice, uh, just, but more based on like all the experience that I had, especially cat, cat behavior, um, advice. And, um, uh, because my husband is British, uh, and for, yeah, some, work-related uh, um, reasons, we, we ended up uh, moving to London, where we're still living at, uh, at the moment. Uh, and I continued doing Cease Pet Care there, so doing that kind of cat-sitting, dog-walking. Uh, but after like a year or two I'm in London, I noticed that, okay, well, ev- anybody can feed a kitten, but not everybody, <laughs> not everybody can really take care of an elderly cat while their owners are away to, to give like the insulin injections or um, subcutaneous fluids, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So I decided to really hone in on, on the skills that I have, which was taking care of elderly animals, taking care of chronically ill animals while their owners were on holiday. And then the, the local veterinarian started sending more people to me for 
support in terms of teaching them how to give medications such as subcutaneous fluids and teaching them how to give insulin shots. Uh, but also uh, owners that were having difficulties in that end-of-life phase um, with with kind of the letting go, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Having, having the emotional conversations with them. So by using using the care for the animal as a proxy to ha- to start a conversation about okay so what are the plans where what is the direction we're going into and how can we make sure that like the next few days weeks or months are going to be as comfortable for everybody involved and do not um have a negative impact on the well-being of your pet because that is obviously for everybody the, the biggest concern is to make sure that the animal is not suffering so yeah, I I started to specialize more in that way and I started to do a little bit more research into what is out there in terms of end of life care for animals. And I noticed that especially in the UK there's not a lot. Uh most of the end of life care is really focused on the, the home euthanasia and that's even that is not being done as much. And then I started looking further afield and I found the International Association for Animal Hospice in, in the States. Um, so I started to do a little bit more research uh, about hospice care in, in the States and um, found out there's this whole new world out there. <laughs> and I was like, we need this here in the UK. And actually, we need this also in the U- EU. But let's just start with the UK. As I'm living there now. So, yeah. Um, and I was, as all of the stories always go, was around lockdown where I was like, you know, I'm not completely happy in the place where I'm now, uh, living in London, where every, everything is shut down. And I'd love to live somewhere that's grand in terms of nature, where people are slightly friendlier uh, and there's fresh air and um, preferably a, a female politician in power. <laughs> so we decided, OK, we're either, we're either going to move to New Zealand or uh, second choice would be Canada. So. As you do, I started learning uh, French, <laughs> um, which is how I how I often jump into things where I'm like, okay, like, uh, I'm either going to live in uh, Quebec or I'm going to live in New Zealand, so let's just uh, learn French. And then a few clients of mine t- um, took me aside and said, um, well, you can do a 180 now, but you can also build further on something that you have here like you can do a 180 and move to the other side of the world and try to become happy there. Or you can build on something that you have here and do something that you're really good at and you really have a thing here. You just need to build it further. And that thing was like hospice care. So I started doing more research into that and feeling like, okay, if other people are saying this to me, like there there were these diff- different nudges from different sides saying to me, you need to go into hospice care. You need to build something that is bigger than just you as one individual. You need to get more people involved. So, yeah, and that is how my idea for Autumn Animal started. So lots of research later and um, talking to loads of people. Autumn Animals was in sept- uh, was Yeah, I started Autumn Animals in April 2021. And uh, we're now well, almost two years further, and um, it has pivoted, it has grown, it has frustrated me, it has made me really happy. I am. I woke up this morning very frustrated, and now I'm, I've spoken to somebody this morning, and now I'm really happy again, so it's been a roller coaster ride, but that's where I'm at right now. Gotcha. And uh, one of the things we always like to ask our, our guests in is how do you view the state of the veterinary technician profession? Um, so some of the, that was in it and now is not quite as much in it. I mean, you're still doing, you're still in the field, but not so much yeah. working as a veterinary technician or vet, veterinary nurse, as you would be called. Yeah. Um, give us a kind of an overview of what you view the profession in the UK and in the Netherlands. How, mm. how long ago was it that you were in the Netherlands? So I moved away from the Netherlands about uh, well, it's now officially seven years, okay, and so then yeah, so it's about ten years since I last practiced okay. as a veterinary nurse. But just just in, in how you how you view the yeah. you're, you're in the field now. So how do you view the profession? Yeah, and like, I, I do work do? like I until quite recently I had a few veterinary nurses working for Autonomics okay. as well. Oh, cool. And I think I think we're in a really interesting intersection um, right now. I went to the London Vet Show a few days ago, and there was one talk about uh, 
the blurring of the lines between veterinary nurses and techs and the veterinarian. So I mm. think there's this like, okay, veterinary nurses are, are doing more. They're getting more, I don't think power is the right word, but they get, they're getting more like emancipated in terms of like everything that they can do clinically and in terms of caring for the owners. Um, but then there's this, okay, so when, when do they go into the sphere of be, being doing veterinarian work? Um, and I think we're at a very interesting point in terms of in, in the veterinary world where we might need to rewrite the rules about what veterinary nurses and techs can, can are allowed to do. Mm-hmm. And I came into back into the world, into the UK veterinary world and also setting up autumn animals thinking that I was going to empower veterinary nurses more. I had this whole idea in my head that I was going to set up district nursing in the UK uh, because I feel there's there's so much more that can be done by veterinary nurses uh, if only we would allow them and empower them because I, I know that they can do so much more. But then the, I find that the Veterinary Surgeons Act here in the UK is still slightly... It's very old. It's not. It's not made for mobile practices. It's not made for the virt- virtual practices that we have now. So, um, and I have found that people do not yet ask, or there's not yet a demand for in-home nursing care here in the UK. I think there, like in the in the states, it's already much more like much progressive where I've heard of veterinary nurses going into a home and doing a teleconsult together with the, with the veterinarian who is sitting in the office. Uh, we don't have that here yet. And I think we, we will go there and there's uh, a demand from the veterinary sector there, but the demand from the client sector is not there because people don't know it's an option. I know you've kind of talked a little bit already about, you know, a lot of the research you did and, and kind of finding that there is a, a niche for uh, both a niche for hospice and a need for it. Mm. Um, I'm curious, like through your, through your path where you were working on more of the geography side of things, like was there ever like a light bulb moment that was like, this is actually something that I can, that I should do or that, um, that we need to have done. And I could actually like, you know, shoehorn myself into this little sector and actually make this a thing was there ever anything that you were like this is this is what i want to do or why i want to do it well for some reason the old old animals always found me okay (laughs) so in the last clinic that i worked with was a, a it was a cat dedicated clinic in amsterdam and uh we would sometimes have cats been brought in and um owners couldn't take care of them anymore and they wanted to have the animals euthanized because they had a, had a, a health issue and then the owners wanted to have them euthanized and we were like well if you uh i think the words relinquish mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Yep. the animal we can take care of them make sure they get a new house and we'll take care of the cost of their their care so um that happened a couple of times and both times those cats ended up with me <laughs> thinking the thinking because i have my cat lewis was already living with me i would think okay these cats uh, at they were both of them were quite sick and they were not doing well so i thought i'll take them in for a few days because it's the end of their life and um it, it won't be that long and then both of them ended no one of them ended up staying with me for over half a year and the other one for one and a half year um and and I, I noticed then that, you know, I can, it's not necessarily bringing them back for the dead, from the dead, but it's, um, I have this capacity to care for them and to really see what they need and tweak that as I go, uh, which really improves their quality of life and, their, and brings back their zest of life again. And, and then they, yeah, they just end up sticking around longer and having a really happy last few well the autumn of their life they're, they're spending the autumn of their life like in happiness and relative health um and so that was the start of me taking care of elderly animals and i started doing that for clients uh, uh, also in amsterdam uh, a little bit more like really supporting people through through that end of life process and then i start uh, i continued doing that in london and it was my first dog that i took care of uh, here in london who was 
I think about 14 years old and we th- I thought she was going to pass away soon but she stuck stuck around for over a year longer as well and eventually when she did get to all the way to the end of her life her owners weren't in the country and I was taking care of her so and she needed to go into hospital and um uh, she was admitted to hospital and the vet that was taking care of her back then, he's, he, was, he was asking me like, okay, so what is your role in this situation? So I was like, well, I'm just her dog walker, but I'm also used to be a veterinary nurse. So I've been taking care of her and I've been doing this and this and this. And he was like, oh, so actually you're, you're a hospice carer. No, so, uh, I, don't, I don't know what you would call it. He was like, do you know hospice, hospice is a thing for animals? I was like, I, no, I didn't know that. So well, have a look, like have a look at what they're doing in America. And uh, if you want to, if you want to pursue this, I think you have a thing here. And that was six years ago. As in, this Christmas is going to be six years ago when that first seed was planted by wow. another person. Uh, I'm still in contact. I'm actually, I need to, once this podcast is out, I'll, I'll send it to him because he <laughs> yeah. needs to know that he, he started this. It's yeah. his fault. It's <laughs> <laughs> fault. I love it. <laughs> I, I had a, a follow-up. Do you, you know, just thinking about the, the, the work, the kind of work that you do in caring for elderly animals, do you ever have like, um, I don't want to say a contract, but do you ever like go into shelters to to take care of some of those animals that are, you know, kind of on the adoption line that just never seem to get adopted because they're the older pets and, uh, I, I, I'm like you, I, I have that affinity for the older dogs, the older cats, because I, I, I've had a couple older, older dogs and cause you're an older cat. Cause I am an older cat. Yes. <laughs> okay. Too. All right. I like to think of myself as an older dog, but or older dog, you could go with that too. Um, but, but I, I have that affinity for the, for the older pets too. We have a, a neighbor down the street that I've, uh, we've been helping each other out with like, you know, she farm sits for us and I'll, I'll go and sit with her her dog uh, when they go on vacation and he's an, he's an older dog that I, I just love that dude. Um, Cause he's, he's an old man. And, and do you ever do that with like shelters or, or rescue groups? That's actually a really good question. And I thank you for asking have I, that. Have I planted because another seed? <laughs> you have, I think you just sprouted a seed. Okay. Yeah. Uh, sometimes people tell me, ask me something and I'm like, that's such a good idea. Or, I actually wrote that down two years ago and I never really looked back at at my notes. Um, One of the reasons that I wanted to do hospice care is to make that like the end of life bit uh, for animals and their families a positive experience so they go back and adopt and they don't feel like they need to adopt a a kitten or a puppy, but Mm -hmm. they can they look back on this process of, so I call it the autumn of their lives. They look mm-hmm. back at the autumn of their pets' lives and think, I want to do that again. This, this was so empowering. This was so beautiful. And it hurts like hell at the end. But all the beautiful memories, I get that in return. And that is worth it to do it yeah. again. So um, I haven't really been in contact with shelters. I have been eyeing um i don't know whether you've heard of this the the cinnamon trust here in the uk is an amazing um they 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 have a shelter but they also um so they help people that are in their terminal phase or have to go into a nursing home soon to make sure that their pets are taken care oh, of oh, wow. so they they have this conversation like how what is your pet like what do they need and they have foster and adoption families and these foster and adoption families if somebody needs to go into nursing home or temporarily into uh into hospital they will keep in contact so that the person in the nursing home will know what is going on with their pet and they don't have to in beforehand have to worry that if they leave if they do not get out of their nursing home or maybe they pass away their pet is being taken care of so I have hmm. been looking uh, as well. I was working together with them because their work is amazing. Yeah. And it it's, sounds uh, like it. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. well, that's, that's going to take a lot of the, like the, the, the elderly person that has to go into a nursing home. I'm sure, I'm sure that's the thing that they care about the most, not the fact that they're going to lose their house or they're going to have to pay all the money to be in a nursing home, but the fact that they're not going to have their pet with mm. them, I think is probably yeah. the biggest thing. I mean, for me, that would be the biggest concern that I would have is that yeah. oh, I got to go live in this place, but. I can't bring my dog with me. That that yeah. that would that would be a big deciding factor. Not Absolutely. all the other stuff. It would be the fact that I couldn't bring my pet with me. 
And and but then also, if you are older and you and you're losing your pet, and you still you still feel good enough to go out for walks, for instance, mm-hmm. with your dog, but you yeah. feel like I'm not old enough to get a new dog, or right. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm too old to get a new dog. Yeah. And then you spend who knows how many years living on your own without a pet because you don't you don't want to leave that pet in the lurch when something happens yeah, to you yeah. yeah so but we know we all know how important it is to have that human animal bond and mm-hmm. how important it is for older people to keep on being in that really good routine with your animal yeah so i think it's really good to have a um like uh, the cinnamon trust to, to do this work for people yeah. and to, to take that care that that worry away from them absolutely we'll have to uh, we'll have to look up cinnamon trust dave and put that in the notes yeah definitely <laughs> yeah, put it in, yeah, yeah that, please follow that up yeah that, that that's a that's an amazing business model of of providing that care for i mean that's such a needed thing that is just not I out know. there um, yeah. especially here in the states that's not something that we well, if, mm. if it is, I, I wouldn't know about it. Yeah. So talk to us about autumn animals. Um, yeah. What decided you, what, what made you decide to go from, what was it called? It was called Seas? Seas is my nickname. Seas Pet Care ah, gotcha. to autumn so, animals. Yeah. yeah so so what, what brought you to, to decide to make a new company that is autumn animals? Yeah. So what I wanted is um, I felt as with Seas Pet Care, I was doing lots of different things, but I felt like, the impact that I'm having is, is is substantial, but it is relatively small because it's just me. And I right. wanted, I knew that there were going to be more people and especially nurses out there who felt the same, who wanted to do more for the hospice, the palliative and the hospice patient, but couldn't because they're stuck in clinic and they don't have the time and they don't have the capacity. And I wanted to make sure that there is a kind of like a movement that was started to make sure that their palliative and hospice care is, is a normal progression of the normal primary veterinary clinic care that we, that we provide. I, want, I wanted uh, hospice care to be like a speciality, just like we have special, like specialist referral centers, we have a hospice uh, a place for hospice or somebody to provide hospice in, in the pet's home. Uh, just like in human care, we also have a hospice. We have end-of-life uh, pro- mm-hmm. protocols in place. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to be able to do this all the way on my own. I need to have other people involved and uh, I need to get other people involved. So that's why I started thinking about, okay, this needs to be uh, a company. I was I was doubting between company and charity, but I thought, okay, with company, I can probably do a little bit more than than on a charitable basis, just for the financial uh, reasons. Because as a company, I can also have other things that bring in the money, and I can do charitable uh, activities with that money. Um, so yeah, I set up Autumn Animals one uh, in April 2021, and. Um, have been continuing still to do dog walking, which is something I'm still doing and enjoying, although I'd love love to do like tip the balance a little bit more towards the hospice care. Um, but yeah, so I started thinking that uh, Autumn Animals was going to be this holistic care organization. So a place where veterinary professionals come together to take care of the palliative and hospice patients. So we started with uh, vet, veterinary nurses, veterinarians, an osteopath, an acupuncturist, a physiotherapist, a canine, canine rehab therapist, and a mental health therapist. So an actual a counselor, a pet bereavement oh. counselor. So I'm myself, I'm trained obviously as a veterinary nurse all way back when, but also I'm trained as a end of life doula for humans that are going through pet loss uh, and a pet bereavement supporter. So we have all these different modalities of care that are really focusing on palliative and hospice care together. Um, and uh, yeah, so people are coming to us for ver- various reasons. So uh, yeah, I have uh, patients and clients coming to us for various reasons. Sometimes it's uh, literally a young dog that needs rehabilitation and we help them too because pa- yeah, palliative doesn't necessarily mean end of life. Palliative, palliative means in need of palliative care. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but then the last few months I noticed, I've, I've been looking back and I decided that 
the, this way of thinking, this way of holistic thinking of where we have this organization with holistic carers and working together with the primary physician or primary veterinary clinic, uh, it's, it's, it's a beautiful way of thinking. And I think that is the way forward. But I don't think the market is completely ready for it here in the UK um, because I've noticed that most of the people ask for euthanasia. And only a handful of them, when I have a converse, that first conversation with them, they found, find out that actually there's so much more we can do or so much more we could have done if they would have come to us a few months before. But at that time, when, by the time that they find us, it's already a little bit too late and we need to go straight to home euthanasia. Mm. So uh, I decided that... Okay, we're going to continue offering home euthanasia. So I still have an, an amazing team of veterinarians that do home euthanasia together with me. We do the consultation together. So people not only get the veterinarian in their home, but also somebody that supports them through the journey. But at the same time, um, I've pivoted. So I stepped away a little bit from the holistic kind of care. We still have these people as associates with us. So if somebody does need a physiotherapist, I can send them to a physiotherapist that I trust. But um, I'm going to be focusing more on the education part. So that means going into universities and colleges to talk about the importance and the impact of, of uh, hospice care, um, the communication around it. So how can we make sure that people know quite soon, like quite early uh, already in an animal's life, that this is an option and what they can do to improve quality of life? Uh, and going into veterinary practices to talk about this kind of communication and uh, the communication around end of life care and what they can do practically with the time um, issues that they have, the time and the space issues that they have. So instead of making sure that autumn animals on its own is going to be a flourishing business, making sure that the hospice uh, movement is going to be flourishing in the next five years. Gotcha. Mm. And, and you met, you mentioned movement there. I'm curious, have you come across since you've started this, anybody else in the UK that's doing this now or throughout the EU? Like, have you been able to mm. network and collaborate or compete, if you will, or, or what <laughs> have you? But like, are, are you, do you know, are you still the only one doing this? Well, uh, so obviously, we, I've been talking to quite a lot of vets and nurses in the States. And uh the moment that I incorporated Autumn Animals, I went to the International Association of Animal Hospice Care Organization in the States, which is the international body for uh, hospice carers. And I looked into the registry and I'd, I'd looked into that registry a few months before as well. But then when I incorporated, I looked at the, at the registry again and I saw and I was like, damn it, there's another person who <laughs> just signed up. So I looked her up and she was in London, too. So I looked her up. And we had a cup of tea together and she, we're not in the same area in London. London is a massive city. We're not mm -hmm. in the same area. So we were like, let's work together. So when there's people contacting her for that uh, and she's not able to do that, she sends them to me and vice versa. And there's more people in the UK that are doing this. Um, the only difference I would say with uh, between autumn animals and all the others um, is that it's not vet led. Most of the hospice organizations are led by veterinarians. So I find the onus is more on improving quality of life by like pain management um, and, and obviously doing the euthanasia part. Whereas for me, I'm looking more, uh, I'm obviously also looking at pain management and uh, making sure euthanasia comes at the right time. But I'm also very much looking at the family situation and the social, the social situation and um, coming from an environmental background as well. There's, there's some stuff around that as well. So I think uh, that is a little bit of a difference where I'm looking more at the context and about all these different factors coming in for not only the animal, but the whole family. That's Great. awesome. That, that's, a, that's amazing that you've created this and in, in, in providing this for, for people of, of London and the UK. Um, so before we get too far into this, we're about halfway through. Mm. And why don't we take our little break here? We'll, we'll pay some bills and we'll be back after the break, everybody. The Vet Tech Cafe is sponsored by BetterHelp. Caffeinators at the Vet Tech Cafe, you know we like to focus on mental health. If you're struggling with depression, 
burnout, compassion fatigue, or any of the other mental health challenges we discuss on our podcast, getting professional help is a great first step. We all need help with things like learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries, which empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major mental health challenges. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Dave, I've used BetterHelp. Um, I had really good success with it. I really liked that it was entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can also switch therapists at any time for no additional cost. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. They really make it easy for you to get the help you need. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash VetTechCafe. It's time to invest in yourself. Be well, caffeinators. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Vet Tech Cafe, uh, crossing oceans, crossing borders uh, <laughs> into the UK uh, by way of the Netherlands. Um, so, Siska, uh, we like to ask our, our guests about their own mental health. I would imagine mm. someone that is doing what you do, you probably have mental health challenges uh, on, on the daily that you have to try to manage. So how do you manage your own mental health? Oh, yeah, that's a that's a big one. um i literally just started therapy last week um just with somebody uh local and uh i've already made huge like leaps because um the issues that i'm working on at the moment are very existential and she was like you know you've been working with death for for over a year now it's quite normal for you to have these questions about your life and I never really considered that. And I know, like, I know because of the training how important it is to have a mental health support when you're working in this kind of mm-hmm. caring, but also, yeah, this death sphere. Um, but then having somebody else tell me that it's actually quite normal to feel, to sometimes feel really down, even though you don't experience this, um, like, if I'm helping people go through the death of their animal i don't experience this as depressing myself but something inside me there there's something developing so yeah i do um therapy that's i think one of the big ones and my self-care routine in the mornings consists of sort of as a few non-negotiables which is i take at least two to three hours to uh, between waking up and and needing to leave the house so i refuse to rush um i have breakfast in bed every morning with my husband and my cat (laughs) And um, I do at least 10 minutes of either yoga or some sort of exercise in in the morning. And like, even if I don't have time for half an hour, I do at least 10 minutes. And oh, yeah. And the biggest non-negotiable is brushing the cat in the morning. I have a he has like half long hair. So it's not necessary for him to be brushed every morning, but I find it really suits me. It really helps me to just sit down for 10 minutes and just brush him. It's like I call him my Japanese pebble garden because, <laughs> you know, when you brush him, it has these yeah. really nice figures mm-hmm. on his. And he absolutely he comes running when I take the brush out. He ex, he expects me to, to right. brush him. So when I start brushing my hair, he already starts screaming. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that's a, absolutely that's a non-negotiable, that kind of care for somebody else that also cares for me. Mm, that's great. That's that's a good yeah. great that you forget. And and just thinking about the like as you were talking about that, I'm like, I wonder if people that work in like funeral homes also need like that constant mental health um, check ins with with therapy and things like that. Because I would imagine being mm. surrounded by by end of life stuff all the time, I, I would think that would really weigh on you. Um, so mm. I'm glad that you're 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 kind of going forward with that and and, and figuring stuff out. So that that's great. Yeah. Um, so. Talk to us about what an end of life doula is. Um, I I had to look up what a doula was. Yeah. Because uh, I don't have I, I I've never been been a someone that was looking to have kids, um, and finding out that it's usually like a, a midwife um, for for people mm. that were having kids. So how does that how does that play into the yeah. end of life scenario? 
So a doula is not uh, a birth doula is not a, a midwife. It's somebody that um, it, it literally translates as somebody that supports the person going through a oh, life okay. life altering experience. And usually gotcha. we only see this with birth. It's a life altering experience, and that's the person who in in terms of giving birth, it's somebody that's born as a woman. They will take the woman, the person by the hand, um, and they're there to vouch for them. Uh, so in terms of a death doula, so if I were to talk to somebody who's a death doula for humans, they take the person that is going through the die- dying process by the hand um, and they make sure that all un- unfinished business are unfinished business is taken care of Mm -hmm. um but they also talk to them about what their fears are uh what are their wishes like for what happens after what do they want for their family and they support the family also through this grieving process they will check in with the family that is being left behind afterwards how they're doing making sure that the wishes of the person that has passed are being uh, are being respected um, so it's kind of like, yeah, somebody that, that, uh, takes care of the dying person and takes care of the f- family around the dying person. So and, do you do that for, for the people? Yeah. So I oh, am okay, a end okay. of life. I am an end of life doula for people that are going through pet loss, which is gotcha, another step okay. further. So I take my veterinary nursing experience to take care of that pet so to make sure that their quality of life is being maintained. But I'm also there to be their spokesperson towards the owners to say, you know what, they're not, they're not continent anymore. Their mental health is going back. We need to have a talk about next steps. Right. Right. And then at the same time, I'm supporting the, the family of the pets, so the owners or their guardians, however you'd like to call them, um, to make sure that um, they are being heard, um, that they understand what is going in the process. So, for instance, I, was, I would say I would translate vet speak. Sometimes they are too afraid to ask the veterinarian for what, like they don't really understand what is going on. So I can either explain that to them or I can help them set up a list of questions and go back to the veterinarian. I can tell them, everything that is possible or everything that we can try to figure out what is possible. And it's just to be, to make sure that people know that they're not alone. Uh, I think especially with pet loss and, or going through that, that transitioning phase with losing your animal, people feel alone a lot because there's still the stigma around animal love that you, that it's not the same as take as, uh, loving a child or loving a parent and losing a child or a parent. Whereas for some people, it is it is very debilitating. So making sure that in that process going towards that, they are being heard and that they are being supported in whatever way they need to be supported. And then afterwards, they are being checked in with. They have somebody to, to talk with. And if I, if I check in with people and I feel like, you know, what you need some more, you need more care and you need more specialist care. I can refer them to a trained psychologist, like somebody that is specialized in pet bereavement mm. as well. Oh, that's awesome. You, you kind of alluded to this already, but I, I don't know if there's more to it or not. The, so your company name, Autumn Animals, um, I'm curious to why Autumn isn't autumn the most gorgeous? I mean, it, it, so where I <laughs> well, live in the yeah, U.S., no. autumn, where I live in the U.S. now, autumn is not like we don't no, really no. we don't do fall here. But where I lived, where Dave is from, up in New England, yes, absolutely gorgeous. Um, and so I kind of think maybe that's what you're getting at. But I'm curious if that's yeah. actually it. So autumn for me is the most beautiful part of the year, the best season of the year. I was born in autumn. <laughs> and uh, I like the colors, but how I see it as well, um, autumn can feel like it's a process of dying. We're going towards the fo- follow period of winter, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean there's still life in us or life in the trees or life on, in anything that is going through an autumnal period. There's still that chance of having this glorious uh, Indian summer where all of a sudden it's nice and hot and the sun is shining. 
Um, so we have really depressing rainy days, but we have really bright sunny days. And then the, especially here, the leaves are bright orange and red and beautiful and we're frolicking around. So that is like the autumn of a pet's life. Doesn't mean it's already the end. There's still quite a lot to, to, to get out as long as we are being supported in the, in the right way. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I'm curious how, so, I mean, obviously I know this work is really important to you and I'm sure the the clients that you've helped uh, helped tremendously. I'm curious how you found the response or support in the veterinary community to be like, have they embraced what you're doing? Do you, do you run into people saying like, we don't need that. There's no space for this in veterinary medicine. I'm curious how, how like we have accepted <laughs> what mm, you're doing. Mm. Yeah, it's um, well, that's actually why I uh, expected that autumn animals was just going to be running up and like, was just, I would just be, uh, how do you say it? Like hitting the ground running uh, because the, um, when I was doing the research, people were so enthusiastic about this and everybody was saying, if only we had something like autumn animals when my pet was going through this phase or when my mother was having a pet that was going through this phase. So uh, the, the response has been really, really positive and it still continues to be really positive. Uh, but I think, like I said earlier, it, it is quite new and um it needs to be the story needs to be told again and again for a few more years before it becomes the norm so the veterinarians that have been referring to to us and to me um uh, mostly for, refer to us for the euthanasia bits because sure. uh, here in london uh, most of the vets don't do home visits so they're really happy to be able to send uh, their clients to somebody that they can trust and they know like uh, offers a good service and good quality service and we're not in it for the money so we we really take the care and so the feedback going back to the primary veterinarians from the clients that we've we've served has been really positive as well so yeah I think overall the response has been really really positive I've had only one veterinarian say to me we won't be using your services. We do all of this ourselves. And that was an independent practice who, uh, an old, older man who had been in the community for all this time. So he was so used to seeing through like an animal's uh, sure. family going through their lives, like seeing it through himself, um, which I understand. I completely understand. The only thing that I um, thought was, you know, he goes to, into their homes for a euthanasia, but he doesn't go into their homes for the, the periods before. Uh, so I know one of his patients, for instance, has osteoarthritis, still a relatively young dog, but has osteoarthritis. And he did not say anything about environmental adjustments. Uh, I was the person bringing up the, for instance, the Librella injections. So I think there, um, even though he didn't see it, there's still this gap that is to, that can, mm -hmm. that we can fill when, especially going into a person's house and really having more than those 10 to 20 minutes of talking to a client to see what the actual context is. Do you, do you ever do like, this may be something that you're already doing or maybe I'm planting another seed, who knows? Um, <laughs> but, but do you ever like follow up with people like after that end of life situation, like after their pet has been put down, do you ever follow up with them and say, hey, how are things going? Yeah. Is there anything else we can do for you? I follow up the next morning. Okay. I follow up especially, uh, exactly a week after saying, it's been a week, how has it gone? Yeah. And I follow up exactly a year after they passed away, they've passed away. That's, if, that's awesome, yeah. yeah. And more often in the meantime, if I feel they need it. But um, that's also, I think that's also how we're different from the primary veterinarian yeah. is I text with people. I just send yeah. them a WhatsApp message and say, mm -hmm. how are you? Do you, need, do you need help? Do you need to talk with somebody? Because sometimes I say to them like, you know, we have a therapist on board you can talk to, but people are not able to afford that. And then it's just like, you know, this is my schedule. Pick, pick a date, pick a time. If you just want to have a chat with somebody, I'm here to listen. And I think that is, I mean, that's the thing that we can put, a, we cannot put a financial or a number on, like how much yeah. that's worth to people just to have the availability of somebody who has 
seen you at your worst to actually talk and and who understands that loss well and that i mean you know you bring up the financial part of it but that's that's that i hate to to paint it in this picture but that that's marketing that that's you saying <laughs> i'm gonna follow up and i i am i i care right and i want to make sure that you're okay and that's gonna bring more i hate to bring the finances into it but that's going to bring more business into you because that person is going to say hey I, I i did this through autumn animals and they were great they followed up um they truly care that that's going to bring in more people that that are going to utilize yeah. you so the financial part of it yeah you may not get a, a, a cash value on those connections that you're making with them after the fact but it, it's going to raise your awareness in the community and it's going to make people yeah. flock to you to, to to get that service because that i mean that that's good advertisement just just any, being a, a decent person and, yeah. and saying hey how are you doing yeah any day <laughs> and it, now any and day it takes, and it, <laughs> and it takes minimal it takes minimal effort for you absolutely for you, right? yeah. yeah yeah absolutely and um but i it that's that's also what we have on the website i set up the kind of organization that i will need in a few years mm-hmm. that i feel like i would need if lewis would be I mean, he's 17 years old. He is going towards the end of his life. Let's be honest about that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's just I'm I'm creating this uh, this infrastructure for not only for myself, but also for all those people that have purchased or adopted a kitten or a pip- puppy during lockdown, which was a very traumatic time. So they will need a lot of support once those once those uh, animals start to like get old yeah. and start yeah. to die yeah absolutely yeah um so how can we change the uh the view or the landscape of veterinary hospice care like how do we get more people involved in more people understanding the need for it i guess hmm. um i think what would be really important if uh the veterinary let's let's say the primary veterinary veterinarians and vet techs or vet nurses in clinic can start doing quality of life assessments with owners mm. much earlier than when there is a problem. So starting making quality of life assessments the norm to do every year, for instance, with a with the vaccinations or whenever you see a client, or at least sending them home with a quality of life assessment and say, do this once uh, six months or something like that. So making sure that doing a quality of life assessment is a normal thing because that is when we can start to have that conversation. What is quality of life? How do you define quality of life? And when do you think quality of life is, get, is getting less in your specific situation? Because that, that is different for every family as well. Um, I would love to see more people from a social care background working within the veterinary sector. So not only people that have had training in veterinary nursing or vet, being a veterinarian, but also people who uh, work uh, have worked in social care, like and have more the human the, the skills with the human factors. That's not to say that vet techs don't don't have that. Obviously, they very much do have that. But I think we can learn from uh, the social care uh, uh, sphere as well. I think you you hit it on the head earlier too when you talked about going into like a veterinary school and giving a presentation to current veterinary students. Like, hmm. I think it's so important to have those conversations because while they're students, because at least in the U.S., that's not a part of the training. It, it like sure you 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 euthanize pets all the time, but you you don't you don't get that kind of training in veterinary school or veterinary nursing school or veterinary technician school. So like going into those kinds of settings and saying, this is why this is important because you're not going to get this training and we can work with your future clients to provide this because this is what we do. And I feel like that's the, frankly, the best way to, to get this out there is like start changing that mindset while they're still in school and just make it like while they're in school, they're going to, they're going to consult with orthopedists or internal medicine specialists or whatever specialist about whatever ailments that pet has. This is just another specialty service. Absolutely. And, and, and it's that to me, yeah. that's where, it, at least in my mind, I feel like that's where it has to start. Yeah. And that, and that's not only, so that, that is very focused on how they can provide a service that is, 
uh, adding value for the client or the pet mm-hmm. owner. But then there's also the learning how to deal with that for yourself, because there's quite a lot of things. Like when I became an end of life doula, I did an online course with the University of Ver- Vermont. Um, there's quite a lot of things that you can learn in terms of how you communicate with people that give you a little bit of the distance while not be feeling distant for the client, but that could uh, make sure that you you don't take all these stories home. You don't mm-hmm. take the, the emotions home. Yeah. So the, the, the difference between compassion and empathy, uh, you know, there's these difference where you don't have to take, you don't have to absorb all these emotions from people. You can be there as their support, but you don't have to go through it with them. And I think that is really important because obviously we all have this, we all, I think almost everybody has at a certain point in their life come across compassion fatigue, whether it's with yourself or with your colleagues. We need to learn how to give care without draining yourself. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, Is there something like for, you know, with your previous training as an RVN, when you think back to that and like what you're doing now, is there something you wish more people in that role um, or the vet tech role here in the States knew about hospice care or end of life care, or like looking back to where you were in your training, is there anything you wish you knew then that you've learned along the way? Yes. I think the biggest impact that was made on me was during my first internship where we euthanized a young cat who was diagnosed with diabetes just because it wasn't convenient for the owners. And now looking back, I have more information, but at that moment, I really, really struggled with that. And the only support that I got, I I tried everything, like trying to get a, a, another home for this animal, for this cat. And the veterinarian that did it said, we need to do this because the, like, we just need to suck it up because the owners want it. And only years later, working in the emergency hospital where I was working with Ninka at the time, did I learn that we do not have to do that just because owners demand it. Um, I wish that I would have at that time had better support while making these kinds of life and death situations because it really, really traumatized me. And at that point, I realized this is not for me. This, This having to do something just because somebody is paying Mm-mm. that's yeah. that's really not where i want to go yeah i hear you well we we are almost at our hour now um and is there anything that we have not asked you or touched on today that you wanted to get out to our listeners yeah so um quality of life assessments i was uh, yeah. alluding to it earlier already that i'd love it if people start doing quality of life assessments when the animals are still healthy now on our website autumnanimals.com i have a quality of life assessment that's free oh, for okay. anybody i'm not collecting data or anything it's literally i want people to just start doing quality of life assessments it's you don't have to download anything just go to the website fill in this uh like the scores like the ratings and uh there's some bonus questions on there as well so um i would just really really ask all the veterinary professionals and all the the pet owners uh, who are listening to this to to go and and do a quality of life assessment for their patient or for their own pet um, and start a conversation. Start really start a conversation. Start uh, ask a question like what does make what makes your pet's life worth living? What is that one thing that they're really living for? Whether it's treats, whether it's cuddles, whether it's um, having a swim. Ten minutes of brushing every morning. <laughs> 10 minutes yeah if my cat says please do not touch me anymore i know that he is not feeling well and there's something needs to be done yeah so having that starting that conversation starting it sooner not being afraid Uh, i feel that people are really afraid especially here in the uk to have that conversation is quite a sensitive subject and i think me being dutch really helps with that where i don't really care about whether something's sensitive i'm just really noisy Uh, so i i start that conversation and sometimes you have people just pouring their hearts out and starting to cry first and that's okay taking a breath you don't have to you don't have to solve their problems they need to cry and then they can start to have a conversation so i think that is really important and then the last 
person, I think one of the questions that you asked me um, was like, who do we need to contact next? Okay, um, yeah, yeah. So I, when I went to the London Vet Show the other day, I had a lecture from or a talk from somebody who is starting to introduce veterinary social work to the UK. And oh, she okay. comes from Australia. And I think she, yes, she mentioned that veterinary social work is already a thing in the States. But for our UK listeners, it's not a thing yet. And she's uh, Rebecca Stevens. She's going to introduce it to the UK. So I think she, especially for, for vet techs and vet nurses that are really interested in doing more of this kind of social work aspect of veterinary care, go and look up Rebecca Stevens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Just to go back to the, the quality of life um, and it may be on the website. Is is there a time where you recommend starting to have those assessments? Like, obviously, mm. you're not going to do that as a puppy, but like, what age yes. do you decide to do that? <laughs> yes, I would start at year one. Do oh, it, okay. do right. it, and do it periodically. And you know, in the first maybe five years, they will score a ten every time. That's good, perfect. Keep a score of it, and I keep a keep it somewhere written down. But then, once you start to see movement nine, hmm, what's going on there? Yeah. You know? And go back yeah. to your vet, discuss this with your vet, um, like for, for pet owners. Also, if you are a vet tech and you're doing this with a patient or with a client, start to have that conversation soon so we don't end up with a crippled old dog uh, that that is only on something like um, supplements instead of a good gabapentin or an NSAID or whatever. Yeah. You, you need to make sure that um, I think a good example is, for instance, my cat is 17, almost 17 years old next week, but he still is five kilos and he has all his muscles in the back because I've managed his pain. Like I've managed and I made sure he had pain relief quite early on when we noticed just noticed some little changes. And now he like I notice when he's in pain and he, we need to up up his dose a bit or he needs to get his acupuncture session. But I think you can keep keep their body score and you can keep their health and their happiness much better if you're early. So that's why I really recommend starting these quality of life assessments really early on. Yeah. yeah, I guess thinking back to to me asking the question like that that's goes back to like our you know thinking about anesthesia. We check our vitals before we start anesthesia. It's kind of dumb <laughs> to start your, your baseline. Vitals. Yeah, you your, need a baseline to to yeah. know what's normal before you can know what's abnormal. That's that's a great way of yeah. looking at it. No, yeah. I love that. One more thing for vet techs: pain relief, pain relief, pain relief. Yes, always you vouch for your you vouch for your patients. I have so many patients that come to me on no pain relief, mm. and I think we, the vet techs and the vet nurses, always really, really hone in on that pain relief. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Well, I guess you you answered the other question of who's, yeah. who's going to be our next guest. So we'll, Rebecca yeah. Stevens. Yeah, yes. let's just move ahead to we our would you rather there. question. Are you ready mm. for it? Oh, I don't know. Can you ever be ready for a question like that? <laughs> well, some days are sometimes they're easy, sometimes they're not easy. So uh, you have to pick one, two, or three, and I'll give you the question corresponding with that number. Mm-hmm. Go. Oh, no. I need to. Okay, one, two, three. Uh, three. Three. Okay, nobody ever picks three. That's great. Mm -hmm. Would you rather have a phone that has a very long battery life but takes a really long time to charge or a phone that has a very short battery life that charges really fast? All right. <laughs> um, long battery life, long charge. Long battery. Yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm kind of that way now. And I think the way that the phones are going now, like I just updated my phone and it, it holds a charge a, a long time, but it also charges really quick. So um, <laughs> I, 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 I think I think it's good if you're not able to use your phone for a long time because it's charging. It's just like you yeah. just put it away. You're charging. I'm sleeping. You're charging. Yeah, that's, We're all that's a good way to like. Yeah. That's a good way to shut down you, and say, well, yeah, I guess yeah. I can't, there, can't do this all the time. You there's for sure <laughs> there's for sure a metaphor in there about long battery life and taking some time <laughs> to recharge and yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, Siska, thank you so much for taking some time out to chat with us about all of this. We really appreciate it. Um and best wishes going forward for autumn animals. It sounds like an amazing thing that you're doing there. Um can't wait to see what comes of that down the road. Um, but, uh, we really, really appreciate the time. Cause I, I think this is such a, like you said earlier, this, this is out there in the States. It's, it's around, but it's still not at the it's level that everywhere. it should be. Yeah. And, um, I know there's some, some people here doing some great work surrounding that, but just like with everything, the wheels turn very slowly. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm glad to hear that that's starting now in the UK and, and, um, that, that 
just these clients are going to have this as an option is, is really, really good to hear. Yeah, so thank yeah. you. Thank you very much. So um, caffeinators, uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode and we will be back again soon. Bye, guys. Hello, caffeinators. We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. They don't just do social media. They can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community, and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, caffeinators. We would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day.